Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you once again and, and open up God's Word. Um, my wife is uh, sorry she couldn't be here. She's got the summer colds going around, and she figured you'd probably rather have her greetings than her germs. So she decided to stay home, and I think that was a good decision. Speaking of greetings, I did uh, exchange messages with uh, Pastor Tony Phelps this week, who many of you know was formerly pastor here. He said to send you his greetings, and I think he said three weeks he'll be up here, and you'll probably get to see him. He'll be on vacation up here in the great state of Rhode Island. This morning, uh, we turn our attention to the next beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. And once again, uh, a brief text that we use other verses to open up, uh, but a profound and rich statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let us pray. We do thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. We do thank you for your perfect teaching. None of us is able to measure up to it, uh, to practice it, or fully comprehend it. So we turn to your mercy and ask that you would teach us and then that you would empower us. Uh, in Christ, uh, to live, indeed, more merciful lives, for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin uh, unfolding this great statement of the Lord Jesus by reading for you one of the, probably the most well-known accounts in the New Testament, and that's the account of the Good Samaritan, which Jesus summarizes as, as a story about mercy. Because at the end of the story, um, the question is, who, who, who was his neighbor? Uh, and Jesus answers, it was the one who showed mercy to him. So this is an account about mercy, even though it, it doesn't sound like it at first, because it begins with a lawyer asking a question about eternal life and the keeping of the law. But let me read it. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold... A certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of the three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. So the lawyer got the point at the end. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This passage begins with the big question, does it not? 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, don't you wish more people came to us and asked us those questions? The big question, eternal life. But that could be part of our prayer life, that our neighbors and those we know might, at, might perhaps see something that we say or something in our lives that would provoke them to ask such a question. And it's interesting that in answering the question, Jesus turns him to the law and uh, says, well, what does the law say? Uh, how does that read to you? And uh, he goes through some of the commandments and, and summarizes uh, the one about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, which is the second great commandment. Now, some have taken this text and said, you see, Jesus is indicating that uh, salvation may be by faith, but it's also by works. It's also by works of the law. And I don't think that's the point really at all. Uh, Jesus, in very powerful ways, is pointing this man to the fact that his law-keeping is not as good as he thinks it is and is unable to save him and is pointing him really to the mercy of God, that he in his own moral bankruptcy is just like that man who was ambushed by the side of the road and very much needs the mercy of God. But my point this morning is, this is, is to unpack what mercy is And the lawyer then asks him, well, then, who is my neighbor? And isn't that a very lawyer-like question? Not not to criticize lawyers, but but it is a lawyer-like question, isn't it? Jesus and, and and the man agree that you should love your neighbor. And so wishing to justify himself, notice the danger there that he's in, justifying himself. Well, then, then who is my neighbor? Neighbor, lawyers know about torts, don't they? They know about contracts. They know about duties of care. And if you haven't met the duty of care, you can be sued for that. Or maybe a lawyer would be defending someone who hasn't met his duty of care, like, say, a doctor. And so he asks that question as if to say, I certainly wouldn't want to spend effort um, showing mercy to someone who isn't my neighbor, I certainly don't want to waste energy there. So I want to know precisely exactly what narrow range might be my neighbor that I have a duty to. And Jesus' answer, of course, is anyone you meet that has a need is your neighbor. And that's precisely the story that he tells. And I'd like to point out that there are two parts of mercy. Of, of any act or, or um, occasion of mercy, there are two parts of it. There's an attitude and there's an action. So, as uh, first of all, we know that the Levite and the priest pass this needy man by, this man who has been not a sinner so much as sinned against. Uh, he's been attacked and brutalized. And we need to remember that, that uh, yes, we're all sinners, but sometimes we meet people who have really been sinned against. Uh, They've been abused. They've suffered injustice. And so we have the Levite, the priest, the members, the leaders of the visible church representing the orthodox people who just pass this man by and show him no mercy. And then, of course, the Samaritan, the outcast, uh, the one who um, is considered not as theologically correct, not as liturgically correct as this priest and Levite. It would, have, it would have been as if Jesus were telling this story in our circles and said the one who showed mercy was an Arminian Pentecostal. He came down the road. The OPC and the PCA guy, they passed by on the other side, but this Arminian Pentecostal comes down and he ministers. That would be the effect of this, folks. 
That would be the punch that, that those who were really listening would have heard. But notice there are two aspects to this Samaritan's exercise of mercy. First, he saw him and he had compassion. There, there's, there's a motion of his heart. Or as scripture often says, not the heart but the gut. Uh, There was a feeling of sympathy and compassion. And and isn't that part of our failure often with mercy? It's not just that we don't show mercy, but it's that we don't look. We don't see. We don't take the time to sympathize to the one who needs mercy. But that's what this Samaritan does. He looked at him. He saw his need. He had compassion. It reminds me of the Lord Jesus in Mark's gospel, when he encountered the rich young ruler. And the text says that he looked on him and loved him. See, that mercy coming from the heart as the Lord Jesus and as the Samaritan looked upon him. And then, of course, there's the action. There's this beautiful description of of the way that he met this man's needs. He bandaged his wounds. He pours oil on him. He sets him on his own animal. And he puts out money and pays for him and is willing to pay whatever it costs. And the lawyer gets the point that the neighbor is the one who showed mercy on him. Herman Bovink is one of my favorite theologians. He defines mercy this way, if you just want a concise definition. It's the goodness of God to those in misery. And I think that's pretty good. I think there's a connection between goodness and love, and and I I would even say uh, mercy is God's love to those who are in misery. Um, Does that distinct, is that distinct from grace? I think it is a little bit. I think think grace is usually portrayed in the scripture as God's goodness or love to those who are guilty and condemned. That's God's grace. God's mercy is his goodness and love to those who are in misery. Maybe a consequence of their sins, maybe not a consequence of their sins. Maybe just a hard providence like losing a job or losing a career or, in this case, being victimized by someone else. That's, that's really what it is. And um, so let's then think about why is it that in his beatitude, our Lord Jesus Christ says that, that the merciful are in particular Blessed. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, for they shall see, they shall, they shall obtain mercy. And let me suggest three reasons why the merciful are blessed. First of all, the merciful are blessed, and I think this is the most obvious reason, and maybe the most important one, is because mercy is rooted in the character of God. So obviously, those who who live lives of mercy and show mercy have seen that and understand that God is a God of mercy. And we see this throughout the Bible, don't we? God showing his goodness, his love to those who are in misery. Psalm 136. I'll just uh, read a couple verses. Psalm 136 Verses 23 through 25 is a good statement of this. It's praising God who remembered us in our lowly estate. For his mercy endures forever. 
and rescued us from our enemies, for his mercy endures forever. Who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Do you see that mercy to the miserable flowing from the character of God? God looks upon those who are in a low estate. He looks upon those who are besieged by their enemies. He looks upon those who are hungry. And what does he do? He displays his goodness. And just like that Samaritan did, he meets their needs and is merciful to them. Why? It shouldn't be any wonder that the merciful are blessed because mercy is rooted in the character of God. Consider also this wonderful and well-known statement from the book of Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, uh, verses 22 and 23. Uh, did I get the wrong verse? No, got the wrong chapter. Here we go. One more page. Through the Lord's mercies. Now remember, this is a, a, a time of judgment on the city of Jerusalem. Well, the book is called Lamentations because Jeremiah is the weeping prophet and he's weeping over uh, the city, though, though also full of hope for God's people. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Merciful or blessed because God is merciful. He's an unfailing source of mercy. He looks on his own people whose sins have offended them so, him so profoundly. And without compromising his holiness, he is merciful to them. He is compassionate. He displays his goodness. Last night I read Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon on Blessed Are the Merciful. If you have his book on the Sermon on the Mount, it's well worth studying. But I was reading last night his his sermon on uh, Blessed Are the Merciful. And I was really convicted, particularly by one of his statements, when he asked this question, Even though that person's sin offends you, do you have mercy to them? Do you have mercy for them? Do you show them mercy? And I think that's absolutely right. And that's so hard to do, isn't it? God never compromises his holiness and yet shows forth his mercy ultimately at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's hard for us to get those two things right, isn't it? When we're offended by someone's sin or behavior, what do we tend to do? We tend to to draw from them, to want to hold them accountable, to be judgmental to them. But God says, be merciful without compromising holiness. That's what the Lord Jesus does. And of course, again, mercy showing the character of God, which is why we are blessed. We see it so often and so richly in the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 2, for God who is rich in mercy. Not, not, uh, not um, um, tiny in his displays of mercy. Uh, not stingy in his displays of mercy. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. Because you understand, you've seen, you've come into contact with the character of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, that we are not saved by works of, of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. We 
are saved by the mercy of God. Think of the hymn, Oh, you who hear when sinners cry. That's the merciful God. So, in the first place, let us say that the merciful are blessed because mercy is rooted in the character of God. And those who are merciful have seen and known and come into contact with that character. A second point that I would make, why are uh, the merciful blessed, is because mercy marks those who truly know God. Um, Mercy is not a meritorious action by which we are saved, by which God commends us. Uh, We're saved purely by the grace of God as unworthy sinners. But make no mistake about it, mercy is a fruit of the gospel. And only those who, who in some ways display and, and live lives of mercy can really claim to know the merciful God. One of the striking examples of this is in Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 13, where Jesus, as he often is, is, is disputing um, with the Pharisees, and they are really... Um, they are really critiquing him precisely because he's merciful. He's having dinner with tax collectors and sinners and outcasts and prostitutes, people whose sins offended him. Make no mistake about it. He was utterly holy. Their sins offended him in ways that they don't even offend us because we are sinners. Jesus, of course, was not. And, And the Pharisees are chiding them chiding him. Why why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus comes right back at them in verse 13. And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, there's mercy. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. But I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a thing to say to the teachers of Israel. What a thing to say to the orthodox theologians. Why don't you guys go back to Sunday school and learn what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Proper liturgy is a good thing and it's an important thing and we should pay attention to it. Sound doctrine is so important and we should we should pay careful attention to that and always uphold it. But my friends, but if we have all of that in coldness of heart and are not people of mercy, Jesus says the same things to you and me. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And that tells us that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, delights to show mercy to sinners and to those who are in misery. Does he not? My friends, if we're Christians, isn't, aren't, aren't we the recipients of it? We were helpless, hopeless sinners, and God showed mercy to us. God, help us if we are not merciful. I desire mercy says the Lord Jesus Christ, and not sacrifice. And it will necessarily be a mark of those who know the Lord. I think there's a third reason 
why they are blessed, and probably many, many more reasons. I'm just citing three of them this morning. But um, a third reason why we could say, blessed are the merciful. And that is because those who live lives of mercy will all, are assured of receiving mercy in the end. Please don't overlook the fact that this beatitude contains a wonderful promise. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I think with all the beatitudes, and we haven't had a chance to go through all of them, but you've studied them on your own, you know what I'm talking about. There are applications, and, 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 and we receive the promise uh, in this life. Um, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, We receive comfort from the Lord as we mourn over our sins and come and seek his forgiveness. He comforts us. But but he's also holding out that ultimate and final comfort. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I talked about that last week. Yes, we find that satisfaction by grace now as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. But there's ultimately in the book of Revelation, he's going to give us that final soul-quenching, eternal, thirst-quenching drink of water at the fountain of life in the eternal city. So, so there's both already and not yet in the Beatitudes. There's also there's, there's the promises now, but there's the, there's the fullness in the future. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Well, we wouldn't even be interested in the Beatitudes if God hadn't already showed us mercy. Uh, We have already tasted mercy, and I've I've pointed that out from several passages already. But but there's a final mercy. There's a mercy in the end. Not, Not something that we earn, but something that we look forward to, this final and full display of the mercy of God. And let us keep that in mind as as a motivation and a reminder to us of how beautiful and right and fitting it is for us to live lives of mercy and to show forth the goodness of God to those that we meet who are miserable. It may be in this beatitude, perhaps our Lord Jesus Christ had the last verse of Psalm 23. I'm using a lot of well-known passages this morning, but that's okay with me. Um, perhaps the Lord Jesus was thinking uh, of Psalm 23, verse 6. And you know it well. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God showers his mercy upon us daily in our misery. But there's more. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, verse 6, of course, the Lord Jesus is talking about God's mercy to us being tasted now and being, in the, being tasted in fullness in the future. John is thinking about how God's mercy changes us and, and turns us into people who show forth mercy, though he uses the word love but mercy is an expression of love, as I've tried to say. 1 John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. How is it that you and I can have confidence to face the judgment day? How is it that we can have confidence 
to think of the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and we will stand before him. And though it makes us feel uncomfortable, we will give an account for our lives. How can we face that with confidence? Well, the number one reason, the number all, the, the all-sufficient reason is because we have received and rested on the Lord Jesus Christ for his mercy. That's why. Uh, that's, that's the main reason, John 5, 24. There's only one sure ground of uh, salvation, one sure ground of assurance, one sure ground of hope in the day of judgment, and that's simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Yes, it is that simple. Yes, it is that assuring. But faith is never alone in the person who's justified. Faith is never by itself in the person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there will be fruits. There will will be good works. There will be changes that come into our lives, not as a ground of assurance, but, but to us as a way of saying, yes, I can see that I do know the Lord because he is beginning to work these changes in me. And I think that's what John is talking about. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. We begin to see that, that I have come to know the God of mercy, because I've begun, however imperfectly, to show mercy to the, to the neighbors that I come in contact with who are in misery. And may that be true of us. Let us remember what the Lord Jesus Christ says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Amen. Let's uh, respond uh, to the, the preaching of the word and let us prepare for the Lord's Supper.